Hello and welcome to Foxed, the practical podcast series from Fox & Partners. In these podcasts, we'll be looking at scenarios from our day-to-day practice, offering solutions to some of the most pressing partnership and employment law questions we hear from our clients. Our goal is to offer a digest of some of today's key issues in a succinct and practical style that we hope you'll find useful and engaging. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Ivor Adair, a partner at Fox & Partners. In this month's episode of Foxed, I'm joined by a fantastic guest speaker, Rachel Brushfield from Energize, an experienced career strategist and a coach. And she's here to discuss the challenges of making a new start. Rachel is a renowned expert in changing career direction and future-proof careers, marketing yourself and portfolio careers. She's a published author for the Law Society, ARC and Globe Law and Business. Hi, Rachel, and thanks for joining our podcast series. Hi, Ivor. Thanks very much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. So today, Rachel and I will be discussing how to make a, a good new career choice, planning for the transition, and also the tools you need to drive your plan forward. Uh, we'll circle back at the end for Rachel's top tips for executive transitions. And we think the topic's a timely one in the light of the reports of abnormally high resignations in the UK and globally for some months now. Interestingly, we've seen some reports suggesting the greatest increase in resignation rates are for those between 30 and 45. However, resignation rates for those in the 60 to 70 age group are falling. Whatever the reason for so many resignations at the mid-level, be it pandemic epiphanies or burnout, those statistics are stark. And in preparing for this podcast, we've looked at the ONS overview of the labour market in November 2021. This noted that total job-to-job moves increased to a record high of 979,000 during the July to September 2021 period, and this was apparently largely driven by resignations rather than dismissals. Many of those resigning will want to take a different career path, but we know that can be hard to do well. So Rachel, what's your take on the reports of the increased rates and resignations? Should employers expect some more of this? Absolutely. The great resignation is here and there's been a lot of coverage in the media about this topic. And I will share some of the factors causing it during the podcast. So Rachel, thinking about the kind of situations that you tend to see, can you talk to us a little bit about the factors that you tend to see that influence a change in career direction? Expressed simply, there are two categories of a new start, a career change. One is planned and two is forced. So when it comes to planned new starts, it tends to be people seeking a better work-life balance due to their personal situation or a desire for more career fulfilment, plus readiness to change career direction. In the case of forced new starts, these tend to be having to change career direction due to redundancy often this is influenced by internal politics, also feeling trapped in the firm. This is an increasingly common situation which has led an individual to see the need to explore other work and career options. And in terms of the forced change, this can be a number of different factors. So, for example, a new managing partner, young ambitious partners wanting a seat at the top table, perhaps in a merger or acquisition, or not agreeing with a partner's strategy and the firm's change of direction, so the individual increasingly feels marginalised. And it's important to say that most people don't actually have a career strategy. Often it's when they're pushed out and also on the back foot that they are forced to do a career rethink. And this can be really difficult. It brings up all sorts of difficult emotions, rejection, fear, anger, etc. And very few people are trained to deal with these. And it's also important to say that the number one block in making a change, a career change, is not knowing what else they could do. 
So that's where I'm very useful as a coach. Um, I have far too many ideas and lots of insights to help people to think about what next. I bet. And what, what new trends have you seen emerge since the pandemic hit? Could you talk us through that? Yes, certainly. Well, gosh, hasn't it been a, a strange time in the world? Very unusual time. So lockdown, one of the positives of lockdown is that it's given people time to really think. And this has given them new clarity about what they really want. Usually, especially busy people in firms, they lack this time and also the tools for this. Working from home, of course, has given people a taste of a different, better working life with no commute. And of course, distance is no longer a barrier to actually moving employers. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Ivor, the great resignation, it's so important that employers make employee engagement a higher priority, not a nice to have. Another key trend emerging is portfolio careers. So this is when people have a number of different strands to their work and it enables an individual to develop a future-proof career so that they can move in different directions as external markets change and also they change. And if you like a portfolio career, especially for mature career people, it's an ideal gentle slope rather than a steep cliff leading to retirement. And in terms of the trend to people leaving mid-career, there's a lot of it happening at the moment, as Ivan mentioned, in terms of the ONS data. Um, and often this is because there's a skill shortage. So people know that they can move and get a better salary elsewhere. And it's easier to achieve this by moving employers rather than staying. Another factor is frustration. Everyone's been working so, so hard during the pandemic, not necessarily being rewarded for this. And quite often, bosses who have been working from home have actually quite enjoyed not having the management responsibilities that they fell into rather than chose. So people in the mid-career end up feeling a bit neglected. And also, of course, they have time to talk to recruiters and headhunters and go for interviews without anybody knowing. So there's a phenomenon called the psychological contract. This is the unspoken contract between what someone will give versus what they receive and whether this feels fair and equitable. And this has been damaged in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that psychological aspect. You know, we often find it's the emotional side of things generally that get in the way of good decision making, um, particularly when it comes to big career decisions. Um, and those in professional practice are often quite conservative and risk averse in their thinking. So it can be a bit of a struggle. Um, and sometimes I think the big move will only really happen if there's pressure to leave. Um, this you know, can happen when careers have gone off the boil or an individual feels marginalised or, or not valued. So Rachel, where do you start? How best to go about making a wise career choice? So making time to really think deeply is incredibly important. Self-awareness really helps clarity and decision making. And if someone is under a lot of pressure, this can actually inhibit clarity. So understanding your strengths, for example, your transferable skills and knowledge, personal values, i.e. what's important to you and what motivates you is really essential to make a good choice. So, for example, when I worked with Peter Cornell, the managing partner of Clifford Chance, his number one strength was stakeholder management, a very, very transferable skill, which he has successfully utilised in the capital funds market after a long, successful career in the law. And this insight came about from doing research with his network and getting their feedback. It's an interesting example. And what kind of new career options do your clients often consider? So options include changing career direction completely. 
So, for example, going from the law to something completely different. A portfolio career is another common possibility, including one or more non-executive director positions and also starting their own business. So I'll share an example. One of my clients, a criminal lawyer following redundancy, decided to set up by herself. So she explored a number of different options, including interim in-house contracts, doing some consultancy work with a nice legal firm, securing other work using her extensive city network. And in her case, she was much more comfortable pitching than most partners that I've worked with. And she also relished being in charge of her own direction. So you can see that self-employment was quite appealing to her. And she very much didn't enjoy the political world of a big law firm. Plus, doing her own thing suited her in terms of work-life balance. In her case, she was a single parent. And how best to go about researching and evaluating new career options? So a good, robust decision is a combination of external analysis of markets, competitors and trends, and also purposeful internal reflection using practical exercises. And psychometric testing can be useful also. For example, one of my clients decided to make a move away from private practice and consider his broader options. These options included moving to another firm with a better cultural fit, looking at an in-house role in a large corporate, and also we explored working for the criminal prosecution service. So together we looked at the external market and we reviewed and discussed his transferable skills I helped to pinpoint the essential career needs at once that would ensure that he made a good choice and identified career drivers, i.e. motivations. We drilled down to explore the areas of work that he especially enjoyed in his career to date and discussed the culture of different organisations, which is so important for fulfilment. So we identified some sectors that particularly interested him and I stressed the need for him to talk to people in his network so contacts who were working in-house, and tap into their extensive knowledge, experience, advice and contacts. Mm, that's interesting. I think um, from a legal perspective, there, there's some risks to navigate there, particularly for senior executives, you know, those with a lot of autonomy, independence and trust, um, partners and statutory directors, and those individuals that have, you know, fiduciary duties. And if you are a fiduciary, you wouldn't want, I think, this research exercise Um, perhaps that you're describing, to stray into using information or an opportunity acquired to make a personal profit uh, or be accused of producing an advantage for yourself. So basically, you don't want to be in conflict with the duty to do your best to promote the business of the company. And even though I think those kind of duties are likely to diminish if you're placed in garden leave during a notice period, and they will cease on expiry every notice period apart from where you want to exploit company property, they really ought to remain an important consideration and I think this fiduciary point is important because the downside is significant. It's not limited to an injunction or a damages claim against an individual. It also extends to remedies for an account of profit. So something to be taken seriously. Um, but Rachel, we, I mentioned planning at the outset. Can I ask what role does planning play in career change? Yes, planning is vital for a smooth, not bumpy change and career transition. It really helps to plan for the transition in bite-sized steps especially for really busy senior executives. I very much recommend a 90-day plan for the beginning of their new career. So this would include identifying key stakeholders and messages to them, some quick wins, and also the top three priorities so they hit the ground running. It's also really important for senior people to have a clear plan A, but also a backup plan B and C, 
and sometimes all of these are in tandem with each other. So to achieve this, I'll take my clients through the initial review and take stock phase. So this is very much about practical, purposeful insights and clarity. And then this leads to a written agreed career plan or plans, which they own, and also a clear marketing plan to make it happen over an agreed timescale. So this will outline who does what and include regular reviews and action planning. So my role may well change beyond being a coach to being a sounding board and also mentor. And in any new position, whatever the choice is, we always discuss their first 90 day strategy and plan and agree what this will include before they join the new organisation. And then we'll meet about four to six weeks in the new job to assess how it's gone. And often this will result in further planning. So Ivor, from your perspective, presumably part of the toolkit you will need to drive your plan forward is an assessment of your employment position with your current employer? Yes, at a basic level, you will need to understand what you can and cannot do on the road to exit and thereafter. Sometimes leadership teams can react in a suspicious or confrontational way, particularly if you're a valuable market commodity and where your exit could destabilise a team. Uh, So it's worth being clear-sighted about your position. The starting point will be a proper understanding of your contract and the express duties owed. You'll also need to understand how much notice to give and how that must be done. A proper understanding of your post-termination restrictions, you know, what they mean, if they're likely to be applicable or enforceable, is also usually important. And be mindful that you may be bound by post-termination restrictions in other contracts, such as shareholders' agreements. These are often forgotten about. They may be for a longer duration or broader, and the courts are likely to take a more benevolent view of those restrictions as to their enforceability. You'll also want to know if you do resign, can the business place you on garden leave? Uh, And if a bonus will be paid if you're under notice on garden leave. Also, if you do give notice, can the business terminate the contract immediately by making a payment in lieu of notice? And if they do, can that, as is often the case these days, be paid in monthly instalments with an obligation for you to look for alternative employment and with a right for the employer to say it can cease making payments if they're not satisfied that you are looking for alternative employment or taking reasonable steps to do so. Also, I would check if there's anything you've got to return immediately on giving notice rather than at the end of the contract. There's also a very important issue of timing. Uh, You really do not want to be rushing into a big career decision. You may then repent at leisure. Sometimes it's vital, though, to take advice on this. If there's an argument that the implied term of trust and confidence has been broken by your employer's conduct, then time is of the essence. If you're thinking about going down the constructive dismissal route, which would mean, if you can prove that, that post-termination restrictions uh, fall away. This repudiation of contract argument is generally not available to partners, apart from perhaps in two partner firms. Sometimes it's better to have a delayed exit where valuable stock and incentive awards may vest by a certain date. And you'll also need to understand if a resignation would adversely impact on those awards and what, if any, discretion there is. If the business can terminate early by making a pylon, a payment in lieu of notice, that's another timing consideration. And your lever status is often the vital consideration. Uh, For members of LLPs and partners, they'll need to understand the routes to exit and the implications and what the partnership agreement says about the financial arrangements on exit and the timing of return of their capital or payment of accrued undistributed profits. So there's a lot to consider when moving on to ensure you do it in the right way at the right time and to avoid a potentially expensive conflict. And in our experience, if you do resign, it's sensible to keep a resignation letter short and avoid raising issues which might give rise to a factual dispute or be taken as a grievance or something like that, unless you intend to negotiate an earlier departure date um, and a release of obligations or some additional payment. 
And it goes without saying, whatever new career you're thinking about, uh, do not copy or remove documents belonging to the company or send emails to your work email address relating to your proposed uh, new move. So, Rachel, from your perspective, what else does an individual need to drive their plan forward? Well, it's really important to bear in mind emotions and just to realise that you may experience difficult emotions, which can be unfamiliar or hard to deal with. So, for example, feelings of rejection, disappointment, feeling like a failure or not being good enough. And many people whose identity is mainly through work can feel like they've had the rug pulled from under them. So if redundancy or a forced and unwanted exit, there are five stages that you may go through. Denial and isolation, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. And these are the stages of grief because a redundancy is a a form of grieving. So some really positive things that you can do at this time are very practical. So, for example, creating a new structure for yourself once you've left your firm and just simple things like spending time in nature and nurturing yourself. And it's a great time to get around to doing those DIY jobs that you haven't had time to do, giving you a sense of purpose. It's also really important to be aware of the impact of your change on the people close to you. This could be a life partner, parents, etc. You will need to deal with their fears and feelings too. So in a nutshell, having a career coach is a supportive sounding board and safe space for you to think through what next. It really helps. So Rachel, I said we will circle back at the end for your top tips for executive transitions. And and here we are. So over to you. Tip one, have a clear written plan that's tailored and bespoke to you. Tip two, have the tools to drive your new plan forward. So for example, get early legal advice, create a cracking CV that really markets you to the best effect, update your LinkedIn profile and make sure that your interview technique is really good quality and credible. It's very useful to map your network and it's increasingly important to define your personal brand, i.e. what makes you unique in the marketplace. Finally, have someone to work with who can act as a coach and mentor and champion and challenge you, pushing you where needed. Well, thank you, Rachel. I'm very glad you can join us and pass on your thoughts and insights. Uh, Until our next podcast, all the very best from the Fox and Partners team. Goodbye now. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Foxed, and we hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe or find out more details on our website at foxlawyers.com.